Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, it's Rafi Cantor. I'm the producer of Padres Hot Tub and one of the hosts of Pods Above Replacement, the brand new show you're about to hear. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that you can actually watch the show right now on YouTube. We break down visual highlights, and you get to see the happy faces of me and my co-host, fellow PHT patron John Prakota. Just search Padres Hot Tub on YouTube, and be sure to like and subscribe, because we have Padres Hot Tub on YouTube coming in the not-so-distant future. Pods Above Replacement also has its own podcast feed. Be sure to subscribe there to listen, as we're only guests in the Hot Tub channel for now, and things are starting to get a little pruney. As always, you can get this podcast episode two days earlier and ad-free by becoming a Padres Hot Tub patron at patreon.com slash Padres Hot Tub. For now, here's episode one of Pods Above Replacement. Hello and welcome to Pods Above Replacement, part of the Padres Hot Tub Podcast Network. My name is Rafi Cantor. I am the producer of Padres Hot Tub and joining me from the Mile High City, he's prescribed some copium to Dick Montfort. It's John Fracota! Oh, hello there, Rafi. How are things going for you? First show, first new <laughs> series. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited. How are you doing? How's the elevation up there? It's getting me pumped up. At the elevation, you get pumped up even more. So I'm getting pumped up. I'm higher than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is for certain. That is for certain. Uh, all right. Well, today's show, new series, Pods Above Replacement. Uh, basically, if you want a Padre show that is going to deep dive into the sabermetric side of the team, this is the show for you. We're going to be having player profiles, team profiles, prospects even, maybe looking back on some draft reviews, much more to come. But first, John and I are going to start with the player profile, and we start with the man with two names. Is it Jake? Is it Jacob? Who can be sure? But his last name is Cronenworth, and as things stand, he appears to be the starting first baseman of the San Diego Padres. How do you feel about that, John? Uh, about the name or the position? Both. Well, the name, it has to be Jake. Jake the Rake, Rake Cronenworth. We've built up a whole, a whole experiential portion of him as a player. We can't just go to Jacob. What is it? Jacob the Rake up? That doesn't make any sense. No. I'm, no, sure, that, nothing I'm sure there's rhymes. something you can make, but we haven't made it yet. Mm, no. Take up. Take up. Jacob, take up. No. It's Make-up. out. We're out. No, not our, it's Jake. Not our field. Uh, but he's the Padres' first baseman. Uh, which I think is a bit of a point of contention amongst people, and I'm sure we'll get into that later in the episode. But opening impressions of the move to first base, what do you think? It's exciting. It's exciting from a standpoint of there's a new shift in town. Uh, you only have two players on either side of second base. Does Jake Cronenworth standing over there at first base, if he's a shortstop playing first base, does that mean that we can cut down on a couple hits that we otherwise wouldn't be able to? I don't know. This experiment hasn't been done. Back before the shift happened, you had most of your first basemans. They they weren't the Jake Cronenworths of the world. It does seem like there's been a little bit of a shift towards a little bit more athletic first baseman. You see, like the Rays consistently employ somebody who is a little bit more athletic at the at the first base position. But the data's new, so who knows how this is going to work out from a, when you're not allowed to employ the shift. It's exciting to see, though. It's all very new, uh, and Cronenworth was once uh, a new player to this organization. You know, uh, he uh, is 29 years old currently. This is his age 29 season. He uh, came up in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, played at the University of Michigan, was a two-way player at the University of Michigan, playing shortstop and pitching. Uh, didn't quite take the Otani path, though, uh, even though he was throwing all the way up through the minors for the Rays. Uh, he didn't end up playing in the majors for that organization. He came here as part of a trade. Uh, and John, why don't you take us through some of the more specifics of that? All right. So uh, the Tommy Pham trade, I think we all remember it as the Tommy Pham trade. At least, uh, certainly at the time, it was the Tommy Pham trade. Um, so we ended up getting Tommy Pham as well as Jake Cronenworth. And then going back to the Rays was Hunter Renfro, uh, 
beloved walk-off home run Padre at the time. Uh, and then a slapdick prospect by the name of Xavier Edwards, as well as Esteban Quiroz. So just just walking through those from a from a little practical standpoint, just to show how they've kind of progressed since that trade. I wanted to say that uh, F War has Tommy Pham as a Padre, as having had been worth one point one F War in those two seasons. He was a uh, pretty much a dud in the in the first season that he was with the Padres, and then he put up one point one F War in the second season. Jake Cronenworth, though, approaching 10 war. He's at 9.8 F war since since joining the Padres, all on rookie minimum contracts. Great value as a Padre. And then back to the Rays, what did we, what did we get rid of? We got rid of Hunter Renfro, who had a negative 0.1 F war in his first year as a Ray, and then immediately got DFA'd. Went to the Red Sox, had a little bit better of a season, and he's, he's still a valuable player, at least a decently valuable player. Um, certainly hasn't put up the production that Jake Cronenworth has. Uh, Esteban Quiroz, 31 years old at this point. He's a quadruple A player. He had a cup of coffee last year, did, you know, mediocre to poor. He's just going to be uh, depth in that organization. And then the fun one was the Blake Snell slapdick prospect, which was Xavier Edwards. Um, so he was a top prospect at the time, uh, top 100, top, I think top 50. Um, so he's been progressing through their system last year. He had a 84 WRC plus in AAA, and then was traded to the Marlins. He's dropped out of all top hundred prospect, uh, tabulations. He's not quite the prospect he used to be. What are your thoughts? I've got one phrase for you. Rockstar GM. This was a preller. Masterclass of a trade. You know, I think at the time, like you said, it was the Tommy Pham trade. Uh, Jake Cronenworth was kind of the shoe in. He was the kind of, uh, not shoe in, throw in. He was the uh, the toolsy guy that we know that Preller just loves. Like, yeah, fuck it, the two way guy, sure. Let's, let's throw him in there and see if he materializes. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that if Eric Hosmer didn't have diarrhea for two weeks in the COVID <laughs> season, Jake Cronenworth might not have gotten the shot that he got. You know, he originally was filling in at first base for Eric Hosmer, uh, who, uh, as a, a podcaster of your John Gennaro points out, had undisclosed stomach bug reasons, tinfoil hat, some people think steroids, but uh, we're not going to go there. That is all alleged and, and unconfirmed. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was where... Jake Cronenworth got everyone's attention, and I think it's kind of fueled the current discourse around him, and it's certainly in the organization, he's moving back to first base, and I think people saw him there, and they saw him making jumping catches and spraying the ball over the field, and they were like, oh, this guy's incredible, like, he should just go back to first base, blah, 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 so, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, typically trades, I think you need five years uh, in, as a rule of thumb to figure out if, if uh, you know, the prospects you send over materialize, whatever. It's been three. I feel pretty safe in saying that the Padres got the the better side of this bargain. You know, it scared the S H I T out of me when we make any trade with the Rays. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there were some patterns uh, that you notice in uh, some of the outgoing players, and uh, I know you want to bring that up specifically with Xavier Edwards. Yeah. So Xavier Edwards was a. You know, top prospect in our organization at the time. Uh, traded him to the Rays. It was interesting. He was a very valuable prospect. He was putting up great numbers. He was getting on base very fast. So he was getting lots of steals. Kind of the the main detractor from his prospect profile as a whole was that he was not getting very good exit velocities. So his uh, exit velocities were like 84 miles per hour, which are is quite low for uh, any kind of major league quality player. Um, so kind of the question that I'm sure that AJ Preller have had was whether that was going to translate to the major leagues. That's not a sexy skill hitting the ball that softly. And and maybe it, it's fine because he has the speed. He can get a couple bloops and he can make up for him, his value overall in that he's doing great on the base pass. He's getting steals, his contributing base runner value and, maybe he would be able to walk his way on enough to be a positive offensive player while contributing great defense. It's, it seems like it's a little bit of a, 
a continuous thing now for Preller that he doesn't like those low exit velocities. One, the the player that he traded out in order to get Hater last year was Estieri Ruiz, and he is famously known as somebody who's putting up great numbers with a low exit velocity. Last year, he actually had the, it was a small sample size, but he had the lowest exit velocity in the entire majors at 73 miles per hour, uh, split between us and the Brewers. Obviously, the Brewers then traded him to the A's. Now he's you know going to get a, a great shot to get a ton of playing time with the A's. It, it is interesting that this continues to be a thing. AJ Preller does not like those. It, he doesn't seem to like those low exit velocities. He traded one. As of right now, Xavier Edwards doesn't look like he's quite the prospect that he was originally panned to be. Um, we'll see. He's only 23 years old, but he's still not hitting the ball hard, and we'll see how that translates to the majors. And it, it'll be another interesting thing to follow with Estiria Ruiz and maybe some of our other prospects as they come through the system is AJ Preller saying, this guy doesn't have exit velocities. Let's go ahead and, and get rid of this guy. And one more thing before we move on. Uh, it's important to remember at the time of this trade, uh, we had Xavier Edwards and CJ Abrams lined up basically at the same in the same spot in the... Uh, they, they were really close to each other in prospect rankings for a shorter period amount of time, and it was kind of a question of like who the organization believed in more. And ultimately, this trade made that clear that they thought CJ Abrams was going to be that guy. Uh, CJ Abrams... Uh, became a very useful piece for the Padres and not in a way that they potentially expected at the time of this trade as going uh, back to Washington in the Juan Soto trade. But let's focus back on Jake Cronenworth. As you mentioned, John, the last three years, getting a lot of production on three years of the rookie minimum deal. Uh, that's changing this year. So uh, let's let's dive into the numbers. This year, 2023, slated to make $4.2 million. Uh, yet again, just a reminder, A.J. Preller, as general manager of the Padres, has never had an arbitration hearing. Uh, just kind of something that I think goes towards that player-friendly front office uh, theory that we've talked about on Padres Hot Tub and beyond. Uh, what could uh, Jake Cronenworth be looking at in his future after this $4.2 million year? Yeah, so let's let's look at it. So it's 2023 this year, and he's making 4.2 million dollars um, through arbitration. Uh, he has two more arbitration years left. He is 29 years old currently, which means that he'll be entering his age 30 year in his second to last year of arbitration with the team, and then his age 31 year in his last year of arbitration with the team. You do point out a great point, which is that we don't typically go to arbitration with our players, which probably means that we're paying a little bit of a premium on every single player that is arbitration eligible. But one good example of somebody who was following a, a fairly similar uh, arbitration schedule was Teoscar Hernandez over the past couple years. And he, two years ago had a $4.3 million arbitration, which is essentially the same as Cronenworth's right now at the 4.2. Uh, he got a raise to $10.65 million in his second to last year before arbitrate or before he was a free agent. And then this year he is making $14 million. If you calculate two things into that, which are one, he was during the 2020 season getting that $4.3 million, which seems to have reduced everybody's arbitration like salary following it because of the low amount of at bats that they got in the 2020 season. So this was a good comparison to Cronenworth. I think the 4.3 to 10.65 to 14 million as an expected, as an expected salary, but on the very low end. So I'd imagine we could expect maybe a little bit more. I think that maybe it'll be 4.2, maybe it'll be closer to, to 11, 12, maybe 13, and then maybe closer to like 16 ish. Um, depending on how how things are going in the arbitration market, but either way, that's so that's that's what we're getting for the next couple of years. It's all less than he's worth on an open market. Um, but if we're if we're expecting four point two this year, maybe he's getting closer to you know eleven to thirteen, closer to sixteen seventeen. That's that's closer to approximating his value. And at that point, he'll be hitting free agency at the age thirty two year. So he's going into his age thirty two season. Having just made about sixteen million or so, that that's kind of that's kind of where he's probably going to be hitting the free agent market um, in the year twenty twenty six. Yeah, and just as a reminder to people, typically uh, the way that arbitration values are determined are a percentage of what the projected free agent value is. It's not something that's official. 
Uh, but it kind of works out that way. You know, arbitration year one, which is what Jake Cronenworth is in, typically anywhere around 20 to 30 percent of what they would go for on the open market. Uh, Arb two, anywhere 40 to 50 percent. And then that final year of arbitration can typically be, you know, three quarters of what their value would be. So, uh, you know, that's just something to keep in mind as Jake's arbitration numbers creep up in the following years. Uh, Kind of what the market might potentially look like for him to retain his services. I know we'll be getting into that later in the show. Uh, But Jake Cronenworth, I think, gives us a really interesting first episode profile because he's someone whose numbers, specifically his stat cast and sabermetric type numbers, have fluctuated a lot in his first three years in the majors. And we've seen kind of a transition uh, from being one type of hitter, one type of player, to potentially trying to have a different approach at the plate. And I think a good place to start is a, a stat that's pretty self-explanatory and offers a lot of insight uh, into what be, might be happening with Jake Cronenworth, which is his launch angle. Uh, his launch angle started out at 10.6 degrees in the COVID-shortened 2020 season. And what happened from there, John? Yeah, so 2020, 10.6 degrees. The next year, a rounding error, probably it's a little bit higher. It's the 12.5 degrees in 2021. Um, but then there's a significant change from 2021 to 2022. So the 12.5 degrees in 2021 to 18.2 degrees in 2022. And just following the Padres as a whole, a theme that was espoused about Michael Burdar last year was that one of the things that he was trying to teach to hitters or at least give information to hitters was having your bat path follow the trajectory of the angle of the pitcher's arm to home plate and that's a that's a common theory in baseball it the reason why you would want to do that is because it keeps your bat in the same plane as the ball for the maximum amount of time right so if you're swinging in the same angle as the pitch is coming then even if your timing is a little bit off there's still a great chance that you make contact with the baseball but secondarily to that, secondarily to that is that it also, based on the angle of the pitching arm to the home plate, your launch angle almost always goes up when you do that, which is a benefit as well to a lot of hitters because once they get that launch angle up, if they have enough power behind it, their home run numbers go up. So if you have enough contact, you have enough power, and you're following the trajectory of the pitcher's arm, there's something to be said about you know, increasing your power numbers uh, in that manner. And it seems as though that's exactly what Corner was trying to do, tried to do last year because he had a six-degree in, increase in his launch angle. It went from 12.5 to 18.2. That's very significant. That's not something that happens just by chance or sample size. That's some kind of concerted effort that he had in one manner or another that led to an increased launch angle. Yeah, and uh, I know this is something that kind of goes hand in hand with launch angle, and there are outside factors uh, such as is the ball being deadened or not, a very contentious talking point in baseball. Uh, But I know his exit velocities and hard hit percentages have experienced fluctuation too, so I'm hoping you can shed a little light on that. Yeah, so uh, a sophomore going into the Major League Baseball Jake Cronenworth in 2021 had great success. Then he changes his, it seems as though he changed his uh, like mechanism of hitting the ball a lot going into his third year, which makes sense to me from his player profile. And that's because he has great contact skills, like amazing. His Z contact, when a, when a pitch is inside of the zone, he is able to at least make contact to it 90% of the time. So if you're able to make contact whenever you want, which he basically is, you probably want to start picking pitches that you can hit and hit them very hard, right? That just seems like if that's your skill, that's something that you'd want to do. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so that seems to have been what he was trying to do. However... How that ended up working out changed dramatically based on what pitch he was thrown. So he was able to capitalize on sinkers and changeups 
you know, think pitchers that are more likely to be low in the zone, take advantage of the angle of the pitching arm and hit them hard enough and with enough launch angle to have productive results. However, overall, his exit velocity actually decreased just a little bit from like 37th percentile in the major leagues to the 24th percentile in the major leagues. And he was getting way under balls. He was hitting them up in the air a lot. So just, just from a theory perspective, if you're hitting balls into the air and you're not hitting them into the air very hard, like what would happen from a like expected batting average standpoint? It's going to go down because there's no, there's no flukes of a ball in the air. It's not going to bounce strange. It's not going to go right into a hole. Even if you hit it right between, hit, between outfielders, if it's hit soft and at a high angle, everybody can catch that. So, and you saw that. You saw that occur to Cronenworth. So every time he was hitting the ball in the air, it was, if it wasn't going out of the ballpark, it was being caught, especially on anything with velo. So... He was a fantastic hitter at high velocity in 2021. So just to put numbers to that, if, if there was a pitch thrown at 95 miles per hour or higher to Jake Cronenworth in 2021, he had an expected batting average of 278. He had a WABA of 383 and an ex-WABA of 369. So about the same, like in that 380 range for his WABA and ex-WABA on anything over 95 miles per hour. Then in 2022, he has his new approach, a little bit more angle to his swing. He has, against pitches 95 miles per hour or above, a 204 expected batting average. That's a 70-point 70, 70 drop. A 265 WABA. That's a 120-point drop. And a 273 X WABA, which is about a 90 to 100-point drop. So not only that, but also... The percentage of times he had to face that pitch went from 15 to 19%. And that might be because he was just facing more folks with high velocity. But I would, I would vantage that it, it would probably was that the folks with high velocity threw velocity to him much more often. Especially high in the zone. Because with his swing, he wasn't getting to it. And so what that led to was a very high strikeout increase. Also a little bit of a, of a walk increase because probably he was just seeing more pitches overall. But overall, his strikeout numbers went higher than his walk numbers in terms of the increase, i.e. the ratio of strikeouts to walks went in the negative direction. It was a poor exchange for his increased strikeouts and increased walks. Yeah, and you know, I just want to like take a step back because you, you talked about this a little bit, but Jake Cronenworth is an exceptional bat-to-ball skill player. I mean, there's a reason that he was two-time All-Star and ha- is, was four-war, F-war player back-to-back years. And, uh, you know, part of that is that he doesn't really strike out that much, uh, you know, especially compared to league average. You know, last year, uh, league average strikeout rate was 22.4%, um, which is about in the middle of, like, what the league average rates have been the last three years. So we can use that as a, a template and uh, the league average walk rate was uh, 8.2%. So that's a strikeout to walk ratio league average of about 2.73. So just keep that in your mind. 2.73 is the, is the league average rate. Uh, Jay Cronenworth in his first year in the majors, it was about 1.5. You know, So he's walking not quite as much as he's striking out, but uh, definitely more frequently than like what your average major leaguer is. But it, the last couple of years, that ratio has crept up to about 2 uh, so we've seen him strike out a little bit more. He's he's definitely uh, still walking a decent amount, um, but there are some peculiarities in the way that he's getting on base. And John, I know you you found something that is maybe a little bit of a red flag for you. Yeah. So one of the things that's leading to him getting on base, at least last year, was led to him being on base more was a increase in just being hit by pitches. And so when when you get on base six extra times just based on being hit by a pitch, your OBP obviously goes up. And that that was that was something last year that I I didn't like about Matt Beatty's profile before the year started was that his OBP was high and that was something that everybody was excited about. Oh, this lefty hitter off the bench with a high OBP. 
but it was led by a lot of hit by pitches. And for some people that's consistent, especially folks that stand really close to the plate. Jay Cronenworth doesn't really stand that close to the plate. He stands a normal distance away from the plate and got hit by the pitch more times last year, which made it so that his OBP was relatively in line with uh, OBPs of, of the last couple of years. A little bit lower, but still respectable, 332. He was walking a little bit more, too, but his the exchange of the decrease in hits, his expected batting average and his batting average, the exchange of that for a little bit of increased walks, and then a couple more hit-by-pitches, which are probably fluky and not likely to be regenerated this year, it's not a fair exchange, I don't think. I don't, I don't think if you're, if you're getting a few more walks in exchange for a lot fewer hits, and, and he had fewer home runs, although I don't know what to do with that because the home run rates in general were, were lower last year. But he didn't get the payoff that he wanted, and part of that's not his fault or Berdar's fault. It's probably the ball's fault because he had an approach that would you one would think would lead to more home runs, and it didn't. His exchange was for more strikeouts and uh, poor batting average. He got the more strikeouts and more and poorer batting average, but he didn't get the extra home runs that he was maybe expecting. So that just led to kind of a worse overall year. Um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of go cut in here and talk a little bit more, you're hinting at the approach that maybe Michael that uh, Michael Burdar and Jake Cronenworth were trying to go for and the changes they were trying to make. Uh, there's kind of a couple key areas we haven't hit on yet that work in concert with each other. Uh, both Jake Cronenworth's fly ball rate and his pull rate. So, uh, you know, on their own, these metrics, you know, they could mean a number of things. Uh, Jake Cronenworth's fly ball rate uh, started in, at 25.2 percent in 2020. Again, that's the COVID shortened year, but sort of his baseline. It was consistent the next year, 23.6 in 2021. That's that's, you know, a, a pretty negligible change. But moving into 2022 last year, it shot up about 10 percent, uh, 34.1 percent in 2022 uh and if you compare that to uh his poll rate as well his poll rate went up about four percent uh for in 2022 from where it had been you're seeing a player that's trying to pull the ball more and hit the ball in the air more which is again the, the kind of modern fly ball revolution that uh, a lot of teams made famous in the late 2010s and it's a very uh concerted effort by a player to try and pull the ball and hit the ball in the air more, to try and get more power and hit more home runs. And, you know, you mentioned the ball. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, this change was the same year that Major League Baseball saw a, a league-wide decline in home runs that seemed a little bit suspicious, uh, even though they claimed there wasn't any manipulation at the time. We found that, based on some reporting, to be specious at best. Um, but, uh, you know, we're seeing a player that's really trying to transform his profile, especially now, uh, this year, potentially moving into a power position. And uh, it had some really interesting results uh, on a pitch-by-pitch basis. And, uh, you know, John, I know you broke down some of these numbers. Uh, what were some of the pitches that Cronenworth struggled against and some of the ones that he excelled against? Yeah, so I, I was speaking of uh, a four-seamer. I, I kind of like to break down pitches into pitch archetypes or pitch stereotypes which tend to, with tunneling, certain pitches tend to go better together. Um, and one, one way that folks were able to battle against kind of that fly ball revolution was a change in pitching to kind of top of the zone, four-seam fastballs that would kind of break with that launch angle perspective because it's hard to get up there, up high in the zone with a good launch angle. When you do get it, you get it good lots of the times, but it's hard to get it in the first place. Um, and then snapping off curveballs off of that. Those tunnel well together, a fastball at the top of the zone, and then a curveball that looks like it's towards the top of the zone and then breaks down to the bottom of the zone. And so it seems as though those exact pitches, the fastball at the top of the zone, forcing fastball, and a curveball are what gave Cronenworth a ton of trouble last year. and remarkably different than he performed in 2020 and 2021. So run value, 
which is a manner in which StatCast will say how many runs you contributed to your team versus a certain pitch. His run value against four-seam fastballs in 2021 went from a six-positive, like six runs that he was able to contribute to the team positively in 2021 to 12 negative runs in 2022. So from six positive to 12 negatives, negative is an 18 run difference. 18 runs just based on the 1,000 fastballs that he received in 2022 versus the one, about 1,000 fastballs that he received in 2021. And then the changeup was, was basically the same, a dramatic decrease from, once again, six positive to now not quite so bad, three negative, but still a nine-run drop-off. And he did, he did have a, a positive aspect of that in that in exchange for his uh, poorer performance against that four-seamer and curveball, he performed much better against the sinker and changeup in particular. And just to put some numbers to that, he went from zero runs created in about 400 pitches against the sinker in 2021 to 11 runs created. So that's an 11-run bump uh, against the sinker. And then similarly against the changeup, he had one run created in about 300 changeups that he faced in 2021. And then about in 2022 against about the same amount of changeups, he now had nine runs created. So that's another eight-run eight bump up. So you can see a dramatic change in his profile as a hitter as a whole. It's so interesting in your third year. You've already established yourself kind of as a major leaguer. You seemingly change your swing entirely in one year, and now you're just your profile as a as a hitter is completely different. And I would imagine, just based on him having having had faced more uh, high velocity fastballs, that pitchers probably started to adjust to him. It, it seems to me like he almost has another sophomore year now. If he's going to stick with the same profile that he had before, now he is this new Jake Cronenworth from last year, but now with more data behind it for pitchers to then use and you know exploit his weaknesses if this is the profile that he's going to continue going forward with. Yeah, and I mean, again, we talked about how Jake Cronenworth's profile was changing along with how hitting was changing league-wide, you know, league-wide hitting down in 2022. So Jake Cronenworth's, you know, more paltry hitting performance, not necessarily potentially as bad as one might think. And I actually think... His transition from being kind of a spray line drive hitter into being a power pole hitter is kind of coming at a fortuitous time. It might have not been great for him last year, but looking at some of the numbers against the shift that Cronenworth put up in his major league career, you know, like I said, in 2020, he was uh, kind of putting the ball all over the field and he performed remarkably better against the shift in 2020. His, uh, his Woba was 398 against the shift, and that compares to a 335 no shift. So over a 60 point difference uh, against the shift in 2020, similar in 2021, you know, 373 against the shift, 325, no shift. So a noticeable difference. 2022, however, uh, very different numbers here. Again, his overall offense was down. That's consistent with the league. That's what we established. But against the shift, he had a 314 Woba, uh, and that compares to a 319 Woba against no shift. Uh, they were shifting on him less, 23.2% in 2022. That compares to uh, 32.7% in 2021. Uh, so pretty pretty noticeable drop off in just how much he was shifted against. But, you know, we've talked about the potential benefits of having Jake Cronenworth at first base in a defensive alignment that doesn't see the shift with his range that he potentially provides. Uh, he also might stand to benefit, like a lot of these players, from hitting uh, in an environment that doesn't allow the shift uh, because we'll be able to see him deposit some of those balls into right field that he might not have been able to put there in the first place. This is exactly why Jake Cronenworth is one of the more exciting Padres to me is because of this, this shift change and like how, how do we interpret this exactly? Because you're right, his numbers did go down with his new approach against the shift um, and that would suggest that maybe if you get rid of the shift, his numbers would go up with his pull side approach. However, this, this, the second variable to that is that he's also not hitting the ball on the ground as much, and he's not hitting the ball on a line as much. So 
if you're if you're hitting fly balls, if you're hitting pop-ups, he had a career high rate of getting just under the ball in general last year. Does a shift matter as much if you're not hitting the ball on the ground or hitting it as a line drive? Probably not, but I don't know to what extent. You know what I mean? So like it, it might be that he's pulling the ball through the hole more often on the right side and there's fewer defenders over there. It might also be that you don't see as much of a change as you might expect because those balls are in the air to the right fielder and he's catching him just as easily as he was before. So this kind of brings us to kind of the what we've been dancing around this entire podcast, really. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, a player in transition, a player in change. Now he's moving to first base. It's a, a, a subject that has gotten a lot of airtime in Padres circles. But basically, is this guy a first baseman? Can, can his bat transition successfully to first base? And are we going to be getting the same kind of value out of him at first base than we would be as having him be the starting second baseman of the Padres? Yeah, and I'll go into some numbers that might give us at least a cue on what what other folks think would be the the change in him playing first base. So I don't know. So there's Zips and there's Zips DC, and they both are projections of how they view a player is going to do over the course of the next year or over the course of the next three years. But the difference between them is essentially that Zips DC, the DC standing for depth charts, takes into account the depth chart of the team, the frequency with which they expect a player to play, and also the position at which they expect a player to play. And so basically the difference between Zips and Zips DC, same amount of bats are, are expected by both of them. But Zips DC expects Jake Cronenworth to play first base, and Zips just has Cronenworth as a you know player out in the ether, could be playing for any team. If he's playing for any team, he's probably going to be playing like a shortstop second base, probably heavy on the second base and providing more defensive value just because second base is a position at which defensive values are rated higher. So putting that in, so that's now single variable. It's just the difference between him at second base and him at first base is a change in expected war from 4.4 to 3.2. So from 4.4 to 3.2 is the expected drop. Just putting Jake Cronenworth over at first base. That's that's what they expect. And so just, just for fun, I, I decided to grab a bunch of players who rate at similar um, values by these these uh, prognostications? Just to say, like what we're what we're losing in the exchange of him moving from second base to first base. So first of all, Jake Cronenworth is an extraordinarily valuable player. He is a great defender who hits above average. That's just up the middle. That's just a very valuable player. That four point four F WAR is something serious. That's not like a low amount that we can just write off. That's a serious amount. It's above Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Brandon Woodruff, Zach Wheeler, Max Fried, Shane Bieber, Luis Castillo, Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, Kevin Gaussman, the pitching half of, of Otani, so just if he was just a pitcher, and then any Padres pitcher. So he is arguably as valuable or more valuable than most of the number one starting pitchers in the league. Definitely most of the number two starting pitchers in the league. And then dropping off to the 3.2 F4 that they expect his value if you put him at first base, that's closer to a, an Alex Cobb, a Lance Lynn, or a Brady Singer. So it's really going from that like number one, number two pitchers to more of like a number three-ish pitcher just by moving him to first base. And now that's that's their valuations, and I don't know exactly how they're doing that, how they're incorporating the shift as you know an increase in value and whether that's an increase in value if, when you have good first base defense. But I will tell you that most of the studies that I've seen so far have showed less of a change with the shift than one might expect. Like the batting average of balls in play went down about a point in the minors, two points in some places. But not not an insane amount. Not something that you now you're going to get you know 50 more hits or even 10 more hits. Uh, Juan Soto is one of the players who is expected to have the most change because he hits so many balls really hard on the ground to the right 
And he's still only expected to get like eight or ten more hits. And he's like the top. So it does make sense to me that maybe we're overvaluing first base defense. I would like to say that we're not, but it's it sounds like from the minor league data that we have at least, we probably are, which makes it this number a full 1.2 F4 drop-off seem reasonable. So that brings me to, uh, you know, kind of one of my last questions, which is, uh, are the Padres playing themselves by moving Jake Cronenworth off of second base? Now, before uh, I talk that back over to you, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at is like, wow, a 1.2 drop in war projected just by moving him over. That seems like a huge error, you know, on the part of the organization. But I'm thinking about the alternatives of who we would put at first base and what we would do with Jake Cronenworth. And I think the decision starts to make a little bit more sense, you know, outside of Jake Cronenworth, potential first baseman in the org would be some sort of Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz platoon, potentially, uh, that scares the shit out of me defensively, <laughs> specifically putting Nelly there, uh, whenever we were facing left-handed pitching, uh, seems like it would be kind of, uh, Fran Mil Reyes-esque, uh, giant grizzly bear on roller skates sort of vibe, uh, in the field, uh, and, from there, you're also, you know, if, if that doesn't work out for you, you're looking at potentially moving another player off of a premium defensive position. You know, uh, I don't think it really makes any sense to move someone like Tatis, which I know is something that was bandied about because you're thinking, oh, he's a power hitter. He can just play in a power position where you're actually zapping so much of his value from much in the same way that you're zapping some of Cronenworth's value. I think it'd be even more pronounced with someone like Fernando Tatis. Um and, you know, I, I just don't really think a lot of other guys on the team have the frame. So, uh, you know, it's one of those puzzling things where we have this this joke of like, oh, how many shortstops can the Padres sign? And, you know, we'll we'll see if, uh, like you mentioned, the shift uh, ban, shift, shift restriction, I should say, uh, given that we saw a uh, a shift against Joey Gallo that brought in an outfielder. Uh, so a two-man outfielder, and we still have the traditional shift, which I, I just absolutely love seeing that. You know, baseball finds a way, no matter uh, what what thing you uh, you throw at it. Um, but I'm curious your opinion on this. Are the Padres playing themselves by moving Jake Cronenworth to first base? Yes, great question. Um, I think a lot of it depends on what Tatis is. Is Tatis an infielder who we are waiting to eventually transition back to the infield using this year as kind of a, a soft landing in right field where he's probably less likely to have any diving attempts, see how he how he's doing, maybe focus more on his bat than his defense, and then eventually bring him back into the infield? Or is he no longer an infielder? Because if he is an infielder, at the very least you could say we have defensive protection in the event of a of an injury to... God forbid, Manny Machado, Xander, HSK. If any of them get hurt, what do you do now? Eggie got hurt, so really the answer is Cronenworth right now. Um, and maybe Matt Batten can take a couple of bats, but that wouldn't be exciting for the long term if any of those injuries were more than just a couple days or a couple weeks. Is Tatis allowed to then come back into the infield if one of those folks get hurt? Because if so, that that you know, that being able to have him as a secondary option, that insurance policy would make it so that Cronenworth is redundant to our team's depth. If he is only a first baseman, we are not maximizing his value. If, if what he is is a first baseman and a redundant insurance policy for second base, shortstop, third base, then we're not maximizing his value. If he's the first insurance policy, i.e. Tatis is staying out in right field, and we have you know three spots that they could get hurt, and we could just, boom, easily move Cronenworth back in, suddenly that's valuable. That's valuable for the long term. You could put him in there in a playoff game, and you wouldn't be nervous like you would you know, batting Matt Batten in there. Um, so I think a lot of it is dictated by what Tatis is. Like, is this just a... a thing for one year to make sure that he's healthy, which would be a fair thing. I think that's fair to just put him out in right field and say, all right, let's get your bat on track. Let's make sure you're healthy. And then we'll see where you're, where we go from there. Um, but if, if Tatis is forever out there, 
yeah, Cronenworth, we need him. If Cronenworth is coming back in, I mean, if Tatis is, is able to come back into the infield, at least for an insurance policy, Cronenworth's redundant. It's, it's, you can find a first baseman who puts up, you know, two to three war and get a much better pitcher or outfielder for the same, for Jake Cronenworth. So it would, it would, it doesn't make sense from a roster standing perspective unless Tatis is a forever outfielder. Well, that is a beautiful transition to our final question of the podcast. Uh, you know, uh, one of the, the, uh, sports talk radio podcast favorite games uh about a lot of other things we're gonna do a little uh kind of derivation on Mary fuck kill and in baseball terms that means signing someone long term using them while cheap or trading them away uh john and i have not told each other <laughs> what our answers are prior to this so this is going to be a surprise for both of us and uh i guess i'll kick us off on this one uh I'm a fan. I'm going to uh, use Jake Cronenworth while he's cheap. And for me, that means keeping him through his arb years and letting him go to the wind once he hits free agency. And I'll tell you why. Uh, looking at what the next few years of the organization looks like, you know, putting the Tatis question aside of where he's going to be at, let's assume he stays in the outfield just for all intents and purposes of this. Um, you know, we have two more years of Hassan Kim. Hassan Kim, Hassan Kim giving you controlled cost, uh, defensive prowess, uh, solid bottom of the order bat, uh, especially if he continues to improve in the ways that he did in 2022. Um, and then he is going to go on and hit free agency at a younger age than Jake Cronenworth will, and therefore is going to be making a lot more money than Jake Cronenworth will make in free agency. Uh, in my opinion, uh, I think he's going to get a longer term deal. He's going to get a higher dollar deal. Uh, and that means that we're going to be able to move Jake Cronenworth either back over to second base, uh, or we're going to have that. That's an option. But, but, but the other thing that's going to happen, hopefully in my, you know, uh, when I go to bed at night, I pray for this <laughs> is that, uh, we actually see Jackson Merrill hit the major leagues in a Padres uniform and basically one for one swap him out with Kim and then you get just this contact god level infield where you have bat to ball skills of Cronenworth and Merrill and and Bogarts and Machado um that are going to be reigning uh for that final year that Jake Cronenworth uh is under contract in 2025 and listen you know the way that uh labor practices are in baseball free agency is the one chance for these guys to get a real payday and i think jake cronenworth is going to do everything he can to try and get that you know well-earned paycheck but he's going to be 32 and basically any team that signs him is going to be paying for his decline so uh i'm you know so grateful that we got this throw in in the tommy fam trade and we were able we we're uh, able to get three great years out of him and hopefully another three great years but ultimately, I think 2025 will be the last uh, that Jake Cronenworth is in a Padres uniform. So, John, what do you have? Sign long-term, use him while he's cheap, or trade him away? I, I lean towards the trade him away. I, 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 would like the, I would like the information of the, of the first half of the year, but I would, I would lean towards trading him away. And this depends on who he is is he is he the fly ball hitter from last year that's gonna have no batting average and a couple home runs now and then do i want that person behind tatis soto machado bogey do i do i want a guy that once in a while pops one or do i want a consistent line drive hitter if it was the old cronenworth behind those four players you you could be circling the base paths all the time those guys are going to be on base a lot and if he's putting the ball on a line drive into the outfield, they're coming home. But if he's striking out more often, if he's getting little pop-ups that aren't productive, if he's once in a while hitting a home run but not at a higher rate, he's just a worse overall player behind those four players. Eh. I I, I could I could do with with a better with a a different hitter at first base. And I would, however, if it were if I were me running the club, I would probably want to wait until the deadline in order to see that Tatis is healthy, see that we actually have the depth that we think that we have, to you know see who Jake Cronenworth is as a hitter and more data is better. Maybe he goes back to spraying balls all over the all over the field. Maybe he sees 
dang, I was not good against a four-seamer last year. I got to do something to improve at least that portion of my my skill set. And maybe he is a good hitter. Maybe he is a better hitter than we saw last year. I would like that information. The The problem, though, is that trading Drake, Con- Drake Cronenworth at the trade deadline, you're probably getting some significant thing back, but you're trading Jake Cronenworth at the deadline, one of the favorite players of the Padres. And is that going to... Is that going to hurt team chemistry? I think it would depend on how good the player is or how beloved the player is that we get back. Um, so it would it would be dangerous, but I still like from a total value scenario, you get so much more value putting Jake Cronenworth at second base. Some team is going to pay for that value, and our team overall is going to experience the change in value of having a player that's more suited towards towards our team, like a starting pitcher uh, or center fielder if Trent Grisham isn't isn't performing well this year. I don't know. I, th- I think overall the, the numbers the numbers say to me, you, we got to be looking out for a possible trade at least. Well, they can't uh, c- you know calculate a stat for team chemistry yet. Maybe <laughs> one day they will do that. Uh, so that is not our area of expertise. That's not what we talk about here. This is a stat head podcast. And uh, pods above replacement, I think Jake Cronenworth is one of them. I think we've really talked about the value that he brings, uh, potentially long-term in a Padres uniform, potentially as uh, just another t- uh, misfit toy in A.J. Preller's toy box that he'll be opening up at the end of July of this year. So uh, that was the first episode of Pods Above Replacement. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, who's gonna, who are we going to talk about next? Great question. Put it in the comments below. Padres Hot Tub Discord members. Again, you could become a Padres Hot Tub Patreon member. Get access to the Discord at patreon.com slash Padres Hot Tub. Let us know what you think there. Who should John and I cover next? Uh, but for now, I'm Rafi Cantor. John, it was a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you, Rafi. And we'll see you guys next time on Pods Above Replacement.